What's up, everybody? We're back with another episode of the Dragzine Podcast. I'm your host, Senior Associate Editor Brian Wagner. This week, the Fireball, John Yers has joined us. John, what's going on? Good, man. How are you guys doing? Doing good, doing good. It's funny, I brought up the Fireball reference because I was doing a little bit of research on you, and a lot of people don't use that anymore. I don't think you're nearly as much as they used to. And I didn't I didn't know where it came from until I looked it up and uh you had a little bit of an issue with some nitrous at some point. This is before you found turbos. Like, tell that story because I think it's kind of funny. Yeah, so it was actually Phoenix in 99. There was an NMRA race in, the, in Phoenix that I attended. And I had a, uh, it was with one of my old coupes. And I had a, a 347 pushrod motor on nitrous. And um, the converter was a little too tight. And we went down there. And basically, when I stood on it, you know, it had that, uh, um, that cough and the, you know, the flames came over the top and a photographer got a picture of the car uh, with, you know, fire coming all the way over the top. So um, they put it on the front of race pages. And ever since then, uh, the uh, Jamie Meyer, the uh, uh, doc used, uh, you know, called me fireball urist from that picture from then on. Yeah. And that's like, I, I ran nitrous on my car for a while. And that was always like in the back of my mind, because I've seen that enough taking pictures trackside and seeing it like, like you said, the cough or the sneeze, like it happens and you have to ask yourself for a second, am I okay? Am I on fire? You know, it's, it's, it's definitely an interesting experience, I'm sure. Yeah, no, it was, you know, if I hadn't had some, you know, something of that level, I think it was, you know, we rushed everything together. We just, you know, back then we didn't know as much as we know now. So uh, we were just happy to be racing and uh, you know, the, the fortunately, unfortunately, you know, however we want to look at it, but a uh, you know, great part of my history. Yeah, and it, it's also a good point case. Anytime I see someone that car coughs or sneeze and they don't like, I get nervous that they don't purge it right away. They just try to hit it again. I'm like, no, no, don't do that. You're about to send your intake into low orbit. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's that's never like that. Or you, you see track guys sticking their nose in there. I'm like, guys, no, that's that, that's a bomb. That's a bomb. This is bad. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, an, you know, it's another one of these. Uh, you know, idiosyncrasies of racing that uh, each combination has that we we all, you know, now we know to, you know, avoid and it's, you know, part of the game. And, uh, you know, you educate people about, you know, hey, if you're going to go down this road and use this combination, you need to look out for this, this or this, you know, to uh, things to look out for. Is it sort of like being a turbo guy now and you, you see someone sitting on the brake for three and a half days? You're like, oh, God, please, please don't do that, please. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's. Uh, you know, we didn't, in the, the torque converter technology has come so far and the transmission technology, uh, you know, for spooling. So now we kind of jumped to it, but before we didn't know, I mean, there was no, I mean, there were guys that would start spooling right after the burnout. Oh. I mean, they had no idea. Um, you know, when the, with spooling, I think what people need to understand is the, uh, the, the amount of energy from the engine that's going into the converter and it's not going anywhere when, you know, when you're still, the, the, I mean, the temperature rise in the converter is out of control. It, it's amazing that we're able to do what we do, uh, even with what's available. I, I've heard a few guys say that they don't even, they don't want a transmission temperature gauge in the car because they think just out of sight, out of mind, like they know, hey, I don't need to do this too long, but they just, they don't want to see the number because of how ridiculous it can get. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, it's an ignorance is bliss situation for sure. You know, it's, uh, I mean, the seals that in the transmission, none of that is designed for those type of temperatures. Um, and so when guys if you, you get away with a certain amount, you're like, okay, I can do this or I can do that. I mean, if you think if it was in a, if it was like a test, like a scientific test, you know, typically they build that stuff for at least a double 
you know, uh, range. So if, you know, if you the converter gets to 400 degrees, you would design a, you know, a setup that could handle 800 degrees. But in our, the way that some of this stuff is run, uh, it's designed for, um, you know, 270 and we put it at 400. So it's kind of the opposite, but that's why the, uh, there's safety equipment and that's, uh, you know, what we try to, uh, avoid when we're racing. Racers are really awesome at doing R and D work of the kind that you probably wouldn't want where they will, you give a racer something, they will find a way to break it and say, Oh, I broke it. Then it's like an engineering side of things, you know, like with, with the company, like you have, you got to figure like, how did you even do that? Yeah. Well, you know, and I mean, I think, I think, you know, drag racers, especially, but racing, I think it's like, uh, um, uh, you know, you, you we, we 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 like the challenge but sometimes it's it's such a hard challenge that you do things that you wouldn't normally do uh for you know I, i'm not going to say desperation but you're you know you're exploring every single avenue to go faster and win and when you do things like that you find the, the limits of everything one way or another i i was in the pits one time and a racer was doing something and one of his crew guys goes is this going to be safe he said that's not the, that's not what we need the question we ask him. We need to be asking if this is going to work because it's got to work right now. And I, was, I just turned to walk away. I was like, you know what? I, I don't want to see what's about to happen because I got a feeling it's going to, you know, I, I don't want knowledge of it. Yeah. yeah. All those rules are there for a reason. And it's not because of, you know, uh, it's for something, if something goes wrong because of that. So we're, you know, as long as you stick to all of those, I mean, um, you know, safety and everything else that's going on with, you know, most, for considering what we do, it's actually very safe. It's probably a lot more dangerous to be out on the freeways these days with uh, people texting and driving, in my opinion. Absolutely. And it's interesting, kind of this leads into my first question is you've been around since kind of like the earlier days of heads up racing and small tire racing, you know, kind of looking at where we started and where we are now, kind of talk about what you've seen in the evolution of the sport, because to me, it's fascinating. I always like to ask racers about that, that see, like, it's like going from the stone age to the modern age, but we've done it in the span of what, five to 10 years. Like, what's it been like for you to kind of see all this develop? What do you, you know, talk about that? Um, I can, I think that a lot of people don't appreciate uh, how far we've come and what we've learned and take a lot of things for granted as far as how fast the cars are. I mean, when, and everybody could say this, I mean, drag racing is much older than me, but you know, everything's always gotten faster, but the, um, the economies of scale are, have, you know, really ramped up, you know, in the last 20 years. I mean, I remember when, I mean, you couldn't even get a big turbo. I mean, I had one of the only, uh, hundred millimeter turbos in production. Um, Rick had built it, uh, on a, you know, you know, hand built on a lathe with parts that, that just, just didn't exist. And now we look at the options that we have with the companies that are available, um, you know, precision turbinetics, et cetera, Garrett, just, you can just make a phone call and buy them. You can find them online. I mean, we were trying to just find a turbo at all. I broke a turbo in St. Louis in 2000, uh, I think it's in 2000. And I couldn't finish the race because there was no, there were more, no other turbos available. I mean, I couldn't even fly one in. Um, and now we have all of this stuff oh, and, the, and we're complaining about the type of turbo and then all of the, the, the other part with, you know, with at least uh, this is where I'm taking on a turbo talk, but like all of the, the things that are, uh, at a level of contention in the, you know, the discussion and rules with the blades, I mean, hell, we were just lucky to have one, much less all these different choices. And we've already been down this road as far as the size of the blade, the openings, the, the blah, 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 blah. We've done that. We did that 20 years ago. And now, you know, it's a new group. And it's happening again. I've just, I've seen it happen and just kind of sit back and watch it. 
uh, progress, but that's ebb and flow of life, right? I mean, you have highs and lows and left and right. And, um, we've seen that, but the, uh, you know, small tire racing, um, the promoters and organizations have done such a great job over the years of giving us a place to go, even though it seems like you feel like you're losing places. Um, we still are better than, you know, than it used to be. I mean, I used to go to races. I mean, when we started, I mean, track prep involved us just sweeping it off. I mean, yeah. you know, there was not, I mean, what do you with track prep, you know, and, we, and then the no prep stuff now, I'm like no prep. I mean, that's just how we used to race. Normally we were just wanted a place we could point and shoot and, and let the car go. You know, we used to um, just be happy to be at the end of the track, pack a shoot and come back. And um, now we're going so fast that we go eighth mile and I'm still going faster in the eighth than I did in the quarter when I started racing. So the speed is still there. The excitement is still there. The process is still there. Um, just the technology, you know, it's just the, 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 as fast as everything happens, the technology has grown and it's, it's made it a lot more fun, but it, you definitely need to pay attention. It's, it's like, I always get a kick out of, it doesn't matter if it's, you know, like, you know, I talked to Corey McLennathan about the early days of nitro when he was in it versus what it's turned into now. It's the same, the heads up racing. Another thing that kind of, uh, cracks me up is like the ECU progression. I was talking about some of this, you know, this past weekend that, you know, back in the day, you, you'd flash a chip and install a chip into a, you know, a Fox body Mustang computer or, you know, like, like big, big stuff was a big thing. And now with, you know, these ECUs we have now, it's crazy what you can do with these cars and like all the parameters you have at your, your disposal. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and that's, I think that's what makes it fun. I've said a long time ago that what I enjoy about racing is the, the science project. I think Jason Lyons said that once the uh, aspect of it, you know, trying to make it better. I mean, racing, if you just wanted to race, well, you could race, you could race every weekend if you just, you know, bracket, you know, and you enjoyed the competition or you play a video game and get that, that part of it. Uh, for me, that's not it. I like to, you know, when I make a plan for the weekend, we decide what we're going to do. The, the car responds and, and goes down that road. And it's the ultimate, you know, project that you can always keep working on. Cause that's what I enjoy. Um, you know, even to the fact of what we race today, which is a, a direct injected coyote. So we're, you know, it's the, it's the most advanced drag engine that I know of. And uh, that, you know, we built it because that's what I wanted to do is, is push the envelope and go down the road to having something that resembles, uh, you know, what we see on the street today. We're going to get into the direct injected coyote later. So we'll, that, that's a great way to kind of tease what we're going to back half the show on. Cause I've got a really cool question about that. Sure. We, we talked about in Vegas about that, that that's something I wanted to hit on for sure. Kind of going off the, you know, the technology thing and, you know, the competition level, you, you've won a pile of championships and wins again, kind of same thing. What was it like, you know, you're winning your first championship to your latest championship Talk about like that whole progression too, because that's, again, it's kind of wild to see what it was like the first time you did it versus the last time. Right. Yeah. I mean, I can tell you this, that it, it, you know, when you, you don't realize how much work it is, I think when you're starting, you want to win uh, the first championship was basically um, you do all, you know, we, we were going to the track and we really didn't win. We were just gaining points and accumulating, you know, accumulating rounds here and there and put us into the championship run, uh, to win in the end. Um, that was a turbo championship, which is the most difficult thing in the world. And I, I don't want to take anything away from my other championships. I mean, we won seven consecutive blower championships uh, in NMRA. And I, you know, I don't know if that'll ever happen again by anybody. I, I can tell you that it was a miracle 
um, all the things that we did, the preparation, I mean, it was unbelievable. You see how hard it is for, to win one championship now. Think about seven in a row. Um, you know, I don't even know how we did it. But I will say that the when you have like, like turbo versus supercharger, it's basically two races. The race before the starting line, before the tree drops, and then the race after. And it's just much more complicated to make for consistency reasons when you're trying to accumulate points that way. So it's not like just winning an event, you're trying to win a, you know, a whole run. Um, the last championship was a turbo championship. And in the same thing, again, you appreciate how hard that was to, to keep everything together, um, you know, run a, a military maintenance program on, on everything and, uh, you know, be obsessive compulsive about maintenance and, and, and get that done. Um, you know, they're all super important and, uh, you know, I couldn't have done it alone, but I can tell you that the, the, uh, you know, that challenge, it, you know, the faster the cars get, it's, you know, it's harder and harder. So you just appreciate that you're able to race now and, and get, uh, you know, get a, just even get a win. And then, you know, you can look at your, see how you accumulate points, but it's really two different things. This is, this type of racing has changed. Um, we only used to think about championships and say, okay, we have the next event. We've got to be ready. We've got to do this. We've got to make these sacrifices. And now it's events, you know, there, it's so much money to put these on, you know, when Donald puts, like Donald puts on a big, an amazing race and it's so much work to have all that there and so much money for, uh, you know, track prep and to keep all these people together for five days and make it happen. If you win that race, it's considered a big deal. So you can imagine only with a championship, you stack on five to seven races, um, you know, with the same type of intensity. So there's a lot going on. Yeah, that's that's the thing with like like winning at a heads up level, you know, with fast cars. You you put it perfectly. There's the race and everything that happens even before you put the car in the staging lanes that you have to do that to put yourself in a position to win. And that's what championship winning people do is you're spending that time in the shop after work when everybody else would be going home or they're tired, you're out there trying to figure out how to not only extract performance, but make the car consistent. And then you have to add into the puzzle box that you're trying to find problems before they pop up. Right. Absolutely. I mean, and that's, you know, that's experience, you know, you know, what, what, what you're going to see. And then if you have a new combination, uh, you're sorting through that as well. I mean, I mean, I'm so lucky. I have an amazing uh, uh, family. You know, my wife has, has, you know, being able to put the, the time in, and, and get these cars ready. I mean, it takes, it takes a, you know, what did that saying? It takes a village. Um, the, uh, you know, the, the, every combination is different. So the fastest combination and the most simple combination, have, you know, on, in my eyes have the most success, you know, if you're going for a championship and that's why the rules become such a big problem because it's like, well, the one thing that's not taken into consideration is the burden of that combination. You know, they, they think, well, this one could be faster and that one can be faster. And what about this weight? But the burden of what you have to do to make it happen is not really, you know, that's not weighed in. And that's what, that's your decision when you go in to do something, but that's what makes this type of racing great. I mean, it's all of this racing, this is you know, streetcar based originally, you know, when I started racing, we went to in 1995, I went to Dallas, Texas, and I saw Mike Marullo racing outlaw uh, street outlaw. And that's where I decided, I said, you know what, this is what I want to do. This, this resonates with me. And all of this is from that. It's from that type of bolt-on situation. You know, NHRA, you know, the big cars, you know, custom cars that, you know, that that's different. I think it's amazing as well, but it's different. This group starts from 
a car you could buy on the showroom and then we take it out and then you say, okay, I'm going to take my street car and then we're going to run for a championship. And it's just, uh, there's, you know, there's a lot to, you know, a lot to put together if you want to do that. You think that's the reason why we're, we've been seeing the explosion, at least I've seen it now with events like TX2K street car takeover and stuff like that. That's more of like street car based. It's like, it's guys that just bought a challenger, Mustang, Corvette, Camaro, whatever, put some radials on it. And they're like, I'm going to go race. I think that's why you're seeing that. Is it like you said, the resonation, you think that's why you're seeing the explosion of that kind of racing? Yeah. I mean, the, you know, it starts with the OEs. I mean, Dodge has done an amazing job with all the Hemis, you know, the Mustang speaks for itself, you know, the Camaro. I mean, they're all, I mean, these cars, these, these startup drive them four or 500 horsepower stock, you know, get, you know, modify them to put them on the track. I mean, it's like, it's so like when I say easy, I mean, nothing, this isn't all easy, but it's easier than it used to be. I mean, if you wanted to go racing I mean, you had to make everything. That's where, I mean, that's how I started. I made every, my dad bought me a TIG welder and I built everything on that first car that I had. I mean, from the rear end headers, I, I had to figure it out because I, you know, there was no one doing it and it was in its infancy and it started coming around and now you can get those parts. So people are, you know, fast forward, they can buy the car, buy the parts, get to the track, find the event. Um, if you've got an NMRA or NMCA, um, you know, event near you where you can come out with the family for a day, <clears throat> you know, have a good time, go to the car show and then race the car in a true street class. And then say, Hey, you know what? I think I want to go a little deeper in this. I think I want to get a trailer. I want to go, um, you know, follow a few of these. And then you, it all spreads out and you get different levels. And that's, what's fun about it is that no matter where you are with your budget, if you have the car for that, for that, you can participate somehow. It, I, I've learned that, you know, getting where you fit in needs an asterisk by it. It needs to say, get in where you fit in down at the bottom that it needs to say based on your sanity level and willingness to spend enormous amounts of cash. That's <laughs> literally what it comes down to. Sure. Sure. But, no, I, that, that's, that's definitely true. You know, and it's, 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 it, what's nice to see though is, if you don't want to spin, you know, break the bank, you could still participate. Yes. There, there's, there are ways to get in and then you, th that opens up a whole different can of worms. Like how competitive do you want to be, you know, whatever. And the, to me, that's, again, that's what makes drag racing fun because you could just take and If you want to go bracket race your street car and run 13s all day, you can do that all day. If yeah, you, and you can be the best at it. I mean, you can have the same trophies on the wall that I have at the end of the day and, you know, it's for a different talent in a different level, but at the same time, the same enjoyment. Exactly. Now I've got to hit our first sponsor up first here for this episode is Performance Distributors. The company allows you to feel the difference in your ignition, not just ignite the spark. What does that mean exactly? Well, Performance Distributors ignition systems are designed and manufactured under the most stringent of guidelines. In fact, the owner, Steve Davis, told us their systems are designed as if they're running in their own vehicles because they are. One of the products you may already know of is their line of DUI distributors, the first and one of the best HEI distributors on the market. Their machine calibrated timing curves provide instant throttle response and eliminate engine damaging detonation. For those of you with late model vehicles, their Sultans of Spark ignition coils are based on DUI technology so they can accommodate wider spark plug gaps, firing out more voltage. Make sure to check out performancedistributors.com to get all your ignition needs. Got to hit those sponsors up. They're important. And what's awesome about this show is, you know, not only are we bumping the name, we use their stuff. And this past weekend, I was working on, you know, my own sickness with my friend. 
project car of my own that's gone from a simple bolt-on car to now it's a Lego project with a turbo and, you know, could have done it the easy way like everybody else does, but we're making some of our own stuff. We're using performance distributors parts. And again, it, it comes down to, like you said, how far do you want to go? And all of a sudden it went from, oh, we could just do this real simple to, well, let's try this. Let's do this. And then all of a sudden you're the guinea pig. Absolutely. But, but I think that's part of it. You know, that's part of the fun. I mean, I joke all the time. I mean, drag racers really don't like racing. I mean, think about it. We only, we don't, we do not race for 24 hours and 59 minutes and 20 seconds of the day. So you need to have, you need to be, uh, have a good time with what you are doing. And then, you know, the work on the car in the middle, you know, that's the, you know, that's the part about it that we enjoy. We hate spare time and we hate money. That's the best way <laughs> right. to tell people. Like, literally my, my good friend, Scott came over, we were working on the car and just spent the day putting a lot, working on putting a long block together. And he commented, you know, this is a great day. We're in a shop, got plenty of space. The weather's nice. We're having fun. You hit an impasse, had to go to summit.com to order a bunch of parts. And, you know, I think he was looking at me at one point, are you sure you want to spend this much money? I'm like, I've already gone this far, <laughs> you know. <laughs> if we're going to do it, we're going to do it right. Yeah, exactly. That's the other thing that you, you come to realize, and I'm sure you could comment on this too, with age comes wisdom. It comes to the fact where one hand, I could do it this way. It would be cheap. It would be easy. It would be done. Or I could do it the right way. It's going to cost me money. And I'm to the point where I'm like, let's just do it the right way. Sure. Because uh, yeah, you, you, know, you know, you don't want to spend good money after bad. Yeah, because I'm sure you've run into this before where you think something's a good idea because, it, oh, it's going to save me this, that, and the other. And then there's the uh, the unintended consequences that happen. You're like, oh, well, this isn't going to plan. Just like life, you need to have a savings backup plan for when the washer goes out, when the, uh, you know, when it needs, a, when you need a refrigerator, the car's no different. Now, again, it's about making memories and racing. We've kind of alluded to that. You know, what's your most big memorable moment as a racer and why is it special to you because we've all got them like for me it was making it almost on tv when nhra unleash was doing their deal and you know it was just it was a moment of coolness when you all of a sudden realize how big the stage you're on is what's that for you what's what's the cool moment you know the big moment that really hits you um that, you know that's a tough question i i have so many um, and it's been, uh, you know, there, there's a, there's a lot of highs. I really, I probably need to write a book so I don't forget everything to tell, you know, uh, the story, the path that we've, uh, we've followed. But, uh, I, the one I remember, uh, you know, probably a couple. So there's one that I remember where, uh, the year my, my, uh, my daughter was born and she, we, she, we took her to the race. We took her to every race and we were, we would have, we would have, uh, my sister-in-law and my in-laws watch her while we would go make a pass and then we'd come back and you know take care of her it, it was super challenging and my wife Melissa was I mean I can't even believe we pulled it off but uh we won Maryland and I remember that I ended up holding her in my fire suit they took the car away and I was wandering around the, the pits from the winter circle you know with with this baby with my daughter Lauren uh wondering where everybody went because it was my turn to hold the baby so, you know, it's like of all the things you think you would be doing at the end of a race, you know, that was, you know, that was uh, what I was doing. I'll never forget that. And um, uh, there was, you know, there was some events, some amazing events in, uh, in Joliet. We won a race that uh, every single round had something go wrong. We're talking losing oil pressure, um, 
uh, rebuilding, you know, put, putting pistons in it, uh, you know, breakages in the other lane from competitors, uh, cutting a perfect light. All of those happen in one weekend. You know, those are the types of things that, um, you know, can, you know, accumulate, uh, you know, being able to win, a, you know, an event and, and, and continue a championship run. And one thing doesn't happen and it doesn't happen. You know, you, you, you win on the tree by this much. And I wouldn't, my, you know, a streak of seven championships wouldn't have been won or the race wouldn't have happened. And, um, you know, all of that comes back to me and it's not lost. And that's hard work and all the, from all the people that have helped me over the years, for sure. Alan Reinhardt has said this multiple times on the, you know, you hear on NHRA.TV on the broadcast they have. So he's saying it to the, to the people in the stands. Drag racing is a right time, right kind of play sport. And that is, that, that is a very simple, but, powerful phrase because it is you know and those big moments prove that because it's you know one small thing can turn a moment of absolute glory to defeat and you don't you know you might or might not realize it till it's actually happened yeah i mean it's the truth and and another thing with you know drag racing is if you think about it how many how many moments you can have because of the multiple passes so i mean how many times somebody said did you see what happened did you see what happened i won by this much or lost by this much and no problem. Nobody probably did see it because they were probably busy, but the story from that will be there forever. You know, it's like, it's, it's a fishing story. You know, it's the biggest fishing, most expensive fishing story that ever happened is, is a, you know, the history of a drag race. Um, and then there's always another race. You know, there's always something, you know, it's like, oh, well, we didn't do it, but next month we can go here. You know, it's, um, you know, a professional athlete that uses their body um, has more constraints with time for success in what they do. We're, we're lucky enough that your age, you know, you can be this wide range of age to compete and accumulate, you know, you know, accolades or success or do it. And that's what I think, uh, you know, a lot of us like about it. Look at Alcorta. I don't even know how, how old Alcorta is, but I'll tell you what, that's not someone you want to line up to in the next lane. Cause that guy's been winning races since most of us were before we were born and he's still sharp as anything on the tree and good at the top end. And that, again, that's exactly proof of that. Age doesn't matter. It's that desire to go out and, you know, just a race to compete. Yeah, no, it's wonderful. So if it's, it's, you know, it's a, it's a hobby that if you can get, uh, you know, like, you know, the, you know, the kids these days, if they can get into racing, it's something they could take up and uh, have fun with the rest of their lives. Now, why the Ford Mustang? Why is that your platform of choice? What's the story behind that? That, that's something that I always like to ask, you know, people when I'm interviewing them to do a story about them, you know, tell me the story about your car, you know, what got you into it? Cause you get like, I just talked to a guy that his, you know, his dad drove Mopars, his uncle drove Mopar. So that's all he knew. What made you go, all right, I'm just going to stick with Mustangs. I, when I was, uh, so there was a movie when I was, you know, when I was younger and I couldn't drive, there was a, there's an eighties movie called my science project. And inside that movie, uh, there was a, he, uh, one of the, the stars drove a 68 GTO with a, uh, a root style blower. And so as I got closer to my, you know, the age of driving, I was always mechanical and, you know, dad said, Oh, we're gonna have to get you a car soon. I said, well, what about, what's that? He says, well, that's a muscle car. I said, well, let's do a muscle car. He goes, Oh, well, we can get one. And we would go to the, we would go to the magazine store and look at, um, you know, pictures and books of the older cars. And he said, Oh yeah, there's this, and you can get a Hemi. And it, you know, it didn't mean anything to me. It just, I just knew that I wanted to go down that road, I was fascinated with, uh, you know, high power, um, vehicles. Okay. So then we, um, he, you know, we said, okay, well, I want to get a Dodge charger. I want to get a Dodge charger. We decided on the charger. 
<clears throat> so, you know, I'm, I'm thinking the classic 6970. And uh, we were on vacation uh, with my relatives in Mississippi and dad called back. He said, I got you a charger. I said, oh yeah, what year did you get? He said, I got you a 77 charger. I said, 77? I don't think I know what that looks like. I can't find a picture of that. You know, and that's like the old Cordova. It was a beautiful car. It only had like 30,000 miles on it, you know, and I came back and we were going to do something to it. And it had a 318 two barrel and we were going to put a four barrel carb on there and blah, blah, blah. And, um, we ended up selling it and we did buy a, finally buy a charger. We bought a 69 charger that I was going to restore. So during high school, every day after school, I would come home and sandblast parts and paint and, and you know, with restoration products, this 69 RT that we had, but didn't have an engine. So we still needed to get an engine. And, you know, a challenge like that when you're in high school is, you know, it's something I thought I wanted to, um, a road I wanted to go down, but, you know, it got more and more difficult. So then um, I worked in an auto shop that uh, one of the guys there had an 88 Mustang coupe stick that he had uh, bought. And I remember I went for riding this thing and I'm like, why am I working on this charger that doesn't run? This thing was like, at the time it was like five grand and it, you know, this thing hauls ass and uh, we can have a great time with that. And so that was it. And I bought an 88 uh, GT and started modifying it and went to my first Mustang race, which was fun for a weekend in Dallas and uh, saw Mike Morello running that class. And the rest is history. That's kind of wild that, you know, how all that comes about. And a lot of people, again, you know, they, they see Mike Morello on street outlaws now, but they don't realize really how influential he was in the Mustang racing scene, you know, way back in the day and how long he's been racing. I mean, the, he's definitely a, uh, I would call him a gladiator almost with, you know, just his personality how long he's been racing and how many people like you that, that he's influenced. Absolutely. I mean, it all, you know, it all has to start somewhere. And that was when, you know, that year, that's when modifying the car, it's just like now, if you think about it, you know, the car's what, you know, the, 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 the coupe as we knew it, you know, the, the, uh, you know, the, not a four eye, but you know, what, seven years old at the time I started, it's about the time the payments are done. It's got a little age on it. We can start modifying it. And that's, what's happening with this new wave with the S550 and the Hemis. Um, you know, we race a Mustang, but now we're, you know, you know, all these domestic platforms we participate in. I mean, we've got a, you know, we've got a, a 2021 Scat Pack Charger here. Um, you know, they're, they're all amazing cars and they're so much fun. We like to play with them all. And, uh, you know, if you have a brand loyalty, we like to, you know, at least say we have something for, uh, you know, all those cars. Yeah. And I think that that's important is that, you know, I'm like, I'm always looking for my next bad decision you know, for a project car financially. And a lot of these, like you said, a lot of these newer cars, there's just, there's so many more options now on what you can do with them. And it's just, it's influencing more and more people. And you see people like, they'll go to an event, they'll be like, oh, well, I like that car. And then they can go buy that car and then put their own spin and emulate it, if, you know, however they want. Sure. I mean, I we will have folks call, and say, you know, I got an 88 coupe and I want to do something. And I'll say, you know what you need to do? I say, you need to put it back to stock, take it to coffee and cars and park it. I said, it's a classic and you should leave it alone. You should go to Ford, uh, Chrysler or Chevy, and you should pick up one of these three pony cars and work on that. You know, get get 0% interest or 2 3 4% interest or something, right? And start start modifying that because the technology, the fun, the safety – I mean, these are the safest cars we've ever had. I mean, 
this they're bigger but they're safer i mean the steel that's used is better the tech i mean it's just a better platform and you'll have more enjoyment in the end in my opinion unless you go down a classic route um but if you look at some of the competitive racing today uh you know the street outlaws uh x275 i mean you know their race you know the the, the, the classic platform is there or something modern like we do it's all over the place yeah, and that's kind of going to lead into the, what we alluded to earlier about, you know, the combo that you run. And it, it's interesting to kind of talk about that because no one else is doing what you're doing at that level with the direct injection, let alone at the level of X275. I mean, it's, it's, it's science fiction almost. I mean, it's wild what you do. Kind of talk about your combo, what's gone into the development of that, because it's it's definitely one of the uh, the most unique out there. <clears throat> well, thank you. So yeah, I've always liked to be cutting edge with what I'm doing from the, as we spoke before with the uh, the science fair, you know, ask, you know, way that I approach these things. But so, you, you know, you have these new, when we made the switch to a modular engine, which others have done way before, you know, me, I mean, are, you know, you know, uh, we, you know, all of our, the MMR, uh, you know, you know, Mark and Greg, all the things that they've done in the past and the host of other people that have done modular stuff, but we decided to go current. So I, you know, we raced a, uh, 1990 coupe with a pushrod engine, which I feel is period specific and relevant. That's how I run that to a 2015 Mustang chassis when it first was released with the engine that's in there, a coyote engine. So now we have a billet coyote engine in a 2015 Mustang. And if you pop the hood, it's basically what you see when you buy a new car. As far as the technology, we've obviously upgraded the block and, you know, ported the heads and done all the hot rod stuff that you do. But if you buy a new Mustang right now, it has direct injection and port injection. And they do that for a reason, for efficiency and for power. So if, the, you know, the OEs have more money than we do for R&D, they, and, not, you know, and direct injection isn't new. I mean, all the European models and, and, and imports and the Japanese cars and, and, you know, it's just technology. It's where we go now. It's the last step before electric cars. So um, we decided, you know, uh, Uva Osman from Extreme BI, we had a long conversation. I remember I was sitting in the car and he said, hey, you know, I'll help however I need to, but this is what I do for a living is uh, make injectors big enough to fuel uh, engines like this. And I'd love to have a 2000 horse drag engine. I said, well, I have the engine and you have the, uh, the technology and the know-how let's do it. So we teamed up with, uh, Bosch motorsport and we run the, uh, Bosch, um, uh, MS 6.4 ECU, um, with the extreme DI drivers to, uh, uh, to fuel something like this. And so we run a mix of port and direct injected, uh, fueling, uh, in a modern engine. So it's, it's the same as what you would buy today, which is what I think we need to be doing. Yeah. And that's, that's what, what you're talking about that Vegas. That's what's kind of wild is the fact that, you know, most of the time when you pop the hood on a, on a radial tire car, you're going to see eight or 16 billet atomizer injectors. And it's, you know, very typical of, we'll call it, you know, two thousands, you know, mid to two thousands, some of the stuff you see in the GM cars, but direct injection is just, that's that's got to open up a lot more opportunities because of the efficiency and the technology and the fueling behind it, does it? Because that's that's some wild stuff. Because you guys are probably running some some pretty crazy fuel pressures. Uh, yeah, I mean we run between two and three thousand psi. Um, I the, the car itself has five total fuel pumps, so it's got a, a Weldon lift pump, which is the largest electric pump in the world that we run in the back, and then we've got four 
um, extreme DI belt driven mechanical pumps on the front. And we run a, uh, an XDI uh, injector that goes straight into the chamber. And we supplement that with a high pressure injector in the port. So we still have port injection, but the port injection is also at 3000 PSI. So it's, it's every, everything is high pressure and run off the, uh, <clears throat> the mechanical pumps. So the atomization of the fuel is super finite. So it's a cleaner burn. Um, I mean, you, we even notice that you don't even have to put as much gas after a pass. You don't even put as much fuel back in the tank is, is how efficient it is. And the key to it is timing the fueling, which is where the Bosch and Uva's tuning uh, comes into play, timing the injection and maximizing horsepower. And so it's been, it's been a road of learning that and uh, you know, trying to make that all happen. And, and at the speed and power levels that we have, um, a lot of it that is taking uh, part at the racetrack because we need a good track to do it on. So there's been some ups and downs, but now, <clears throat> I mean, it runs so well. We went um, 420 at over 174 um, with it. You know, it's got the potential to go into the teens. We haven't had the weather uh, since we've run a 20 to do that, but it, it, it can run at the front of the field. Uh, it's a competitive car. And uh, I mean, it starts up and drives like a streetcar. I mean, if this thing had a radiator, I could drive it back to the hotel. And that, that's, again, that kind of dovetails into the, the way I wanted to go with that is like developing something like that in amongst itself would be amazing. You know, that's like something you see on like on a drag week car, but doing it for like X275 racing is like that. That's the, the third flaming chainsaw that you're trying to juggle because that's a that's a very cutthroat class. So what was it like trying then to roll all that into a class where you've got to go 420s now because that that's a whole different level of development and technology, right? It is, you know, and, and the problem is you can only, you can, your, your time at the track, you know, there's 24 hours in a day. Um, when you're testing and racing at the same time, you only have so much time to work on so many things under the hood. And so a lot of our time has, you know, has been spent on the fueling and perfecting the fueling. So some of the chassis stuff, um, you know, got in the way with, you know, with some great people helping, you know, Wade Hopkins helping, uh, helping us along the way with a large chassis. I mean, Rob Goss has great success with a larger car. He races a challenger. I wanted to mention Rob, Rob is doing what I'm doing. His car has the components of a new car that you would go buy on the showroom floor today. Well, that's like our car. We really only have, you know, those are the, that's the current platform. Um, and so getting a larger car, a wider car uh, to work as well as it is, is definitely not a coupe. Um, you know, working all that together again, that's what we enjoy about it, but, uh, you know, it took a little while to get going you had to be uh, patient and we've got some great sponsors like turn 14 that, um, you know, wanted to see the most advanced, you know, drag car, uh, get to the front and win some races. And we finally done that. Before we kick things in a high gear, I got to hit up our last sponsor. So, and you probably know a lot about pro chargers for 25 years, pro charger has been the industry leading aftermarket supercharger manufacturer. By designing and engineering and building the most powerful, reliable, and advanced centrifugal superchargers on the market. No matter if you're looking for a 3,500 horsepower record-setting pro mod or a DIY system for your streetcar truck or motorcycle, ProCharger has a perfect supercharger system for you. For more information about the ways you can bolt 40, 50, 60, or even 100% more power to your ride, visit ProCharger.com. Which again is, you know, like you said, you mentioned Rob Goss and everything that he's got going on and different power adders. To me, you know, 
what do you think about the, these developments that we're seeing where more, I don't know if parody is a good word, just these developments with the different power adders and heads up racing, especially with the pro chargers now, you know, what's your take on seeing all, like all that develop, you know, from someone that's been there, done that and got the t-shirt. I mean, you know, it's, you know, we, we, you know, our, our seven year run of championships was, was pro charged. Um, and so I'm, I'm well, you know, uh, well read and, you know, what this takes and what it does and, you know, what the other teams are seeing and doing. And, you know, that's kind of fun watching it, but it's like anything it's a, it's, it's a cycle. I mean, we've already done, I say, we've already done this. Um, uh, the turbos get smaller the technology gets bigger. The turbos somehow get bigger. The blowers get bigger. The inlets, you know, the technology. I mean, we had that. We were doing what you know a lot of these uh, you know things twenty years ago. Um, but now there's computer programs that can model wheels. There's CNC machines that can make these parts for testing. So you're, you're going to get into a lot of that, and you're going to see a lot of people pushing the envelope. Some people want it to go more simple. Some people want to see it more advanced. I'm probably on the side of more advanced because I feel that if you don't like where it's going. There's another, there's other classes that are um, not as loose as this and they all, they all get out of control, but you can always step down. No one wants to step down, but we're, I'm, I'm always on the edge of technology because that's, you know, that's what do we have left, you know, unless we go nostalgia and we're not nostalgia. I think we're cutting edge. And, you know, your, your company, Hellion Turbo Systems, again, it's something where it, it probably gives you a little bit of a different take on things, you know, because, you're not only a racer, you work on the systems that do this stuff and you tune stuff. How does that all kind of interact for you when you are trying to develop products? You know, are you trying to play more on the edge or more of what's going to work? How, how do you guys approach that? Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what's fun is the, uh, <clears throat> a lot of our technology. So it used to be, we would take our race technology and bring it down to the streetcars. Or yeah, I say street cars, you know, the, 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 the basic cars. Now we take the, the uh, OE street car, the new Mustang Challenger Camaro technology, and we roll it into the race car. Because, you know, the, when, you, when there's efficiency and gains in the stock stuff, I mean, the ECU in a Mustang is more advanced than any ECU. That, I mean, like that we used to use, yeah. I mean, the new, I mean, the, the, the wide band correction, drive by wire, the, so all the money that's been spent. Um, it's amazing. It's great. And so with that said, you, you, you pursue those little things, you know, it may be a car that makes four or 500 horsepower, but in a bigger scale in the race car, it could help you make 2,100 versus 20, you know, 2,200 versus 2,100, for instance. So, um, we share the technology for me. Um, because we build, you know, we, we do product development and we can test it on the track. Um, you know, we, we get the advantage of seeing where the max can be. So we want to have, when we, as we sell a Hellion turbo kit, we want to have a minimum and we want to have a maximum and turbos are great because there's an adjustable range anywhere in there. So if you want to put a turbo kit on your car and make three pounds of boost, you just want turbos and a little bit of boost. We can do that with the same kit. We can put a boost controller on, and we can give you 30 pounds of boost anywhere in between. And it's all adjustable, the ramp rate, everything. So that is what I enjoy seeing, uh, you know, play out when we race. And then uh, when we come back into the shop and do our day-to-day -day, uh, product development, we bring it back and we, we can, you know, go even further. It's a lot of fun. 
it's it, it kind of plays into you know my streetcar is nitrous raw we messed around with nitrous stuff now we're going to more boost because it's more streetcar friendly because for me to do what i want to do at a nitrous car that was street strip it had to have got way too radical and honestly, I got tired of changing plugs and filling right. bottles all the time. Because that's what you got to do if you want to keep a nitrous car alive that you drive on the street and strip. You got There's a lot of maintenance involved. Didn't want to deal with that. Now, on the racing side of things, what I find interesting is I like watching the nitrous development. Someone like a Ron Rhodes that has never given up and always messed with. And now that he went to the EFI and what he's done with it, you know, I, he, I talked to him a while back, and he, you know, big race that I had. He's like, this is the first time I've never had to put a rack in a car because I don't know what to do with my time. And to me, that's like the nitrous side of racers, watching them develop the stuff. And when people say nitrous is dead, I'm like, oh, no, it's not dead. They just haven't figured out a way to maximize those rules that are out there yet. Yeah, and I think a lot of the nitrous says, you know, as I <clears throat> you stated when we st- when uh, when the show started, um, you know, that's how I started is with nitrous. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not. You know, the newer uh, versions of it, um, <clears throat> I'm not as well read in, but we, you know, that it all comes down to fuel, you know, air and fuel. And, you know, if you get, you know, in one way or another, if the air is in there and monitored, um, I can tell you now with this Bosch ECU and what we've learned, um, there's no reason to have any, I'm not saying that you shouldn't have any failures or problems, but if you really do understand the engine and you really do have grasp of everything, there should be, uh, <clears throat> unless you're trying to turn it up to, to, you know, for performance reasons, there really should be no failures. And that's where we're at now, which makes it more enjoyable. Uh, so you're not on your back all the time fixing stuff. I was at a race years <clears throat> ago up at Norwalk. And I remember at the start of the day, I told one of their media guys, I'm like, when all the nitrous cars are up there, make sure you're shutter ready. I'm like, with this weather spring swing that we had, there's going to be the guys that understand how to tune this and what to do and they have the data and the guys that are going to send hood scoops in a low orbit. I'm like, that, that, that is going to be that is it. And I will never forget. It was a top sportsman Mustang rolled up and like literally you could tell as soon as that first kick came in, he definitely did not carry the one in one of his calculations and it just, it canoed that hood scoop. And it's like, that's that's the danger of nitrous right there because when it, yeah when it ain't happy, boom. And, but you know, and the, the guys running that combination, you know, you know, the, the, you know, the, the, they want that challenge to fix that. So that's part of uh, you know what uh, uh, gravitates everybody towards it. And to me, what makes nitrous cool versus the other power adders is like it's a sledgehammer. Like it is all in so quick and like. There, like you said, there's that puzzle box challenge. It's like a when you play golf and you get that good swing and you hit it just right, you know it makes that sound and it's got that feel. And that's a nitrous car because when you hit it right, it's got the sound and it's got the feel. And when you don't, yeah. when, it, when you don't, bad stuff happens. <laughs> exactly. Now you you talked about like in the chase technology and you've kind of alluded to this in this interview and other ones, you know, what do you think of EV drag racing? You know, so the, the NHRA put it out there, they're allowed EVs and, you know, people start wringing their hands and freaking out. My take on it is if I had the space and the money, I would go find an SN95 Mustang. I would go collect some EV parts and I would make an EV car. Just like you said, for the puzzle box, the challenge and the technology, you know, how are you looking at this? 
Well, <clears throat> you know, that's a big, that, I think it's an important question. I think um, the, those of us who have been doing this a while need to, to let everybody know and figure that there is a place for every combination at any time for a long time. So it, if, if you, you know, I think when people think EV, I know it as technology. And I told you that I'm a proponent of all types of technology. Um, drag racing, the way the rules are written, we're kind of in control of what's allowed on there. So I think it would be interesting to try. I, I think that there's, there'll be not less things you can try. You know, the, the problem with the EV, in my opinion, is, is like anything is safety. So that amount of power can, can be harmful. You know, the OEs, when they go in, you know, their special suits, gloves, when they deal with the batteries. So that I don't know enough about to say, but I think that if, you know, if you had a closed situation where you're like, hey, we're going to work on this, I would think the car would be super consistent. It would be <clears throat> super controllable like we do now. You wouldn't have the, the, the disconnect between the power and the um, tire. So you'd be able to maximize what's there, but then it may not have as a much of a ceiling. And I don't know if that's going to attract everybody. It may not have the, the physical feel that a lot of people want to get when they race, but that's okay. It can, it, it's going to be a mix of everything. I would love to see it, you know, come in and play a part and, and us understand the technology and not turn it away. I mean, We've got, you know, you've got 69 Camaros with carbureted nitrous competing. You've got direct injected must 20, 20 Mustangs uh, competing. Why don't I have an EV? I, I think it's all there uh, for us to play with and it's all going to be available. And it's, you know, in this country, at least I can tell you that there's a, a person for every one part of that that'll want to, uh, uh, you know, use it, play with it and have fun with it. Yeah, I, I raced RC car shoes. I still got some that race and I, I raced dirt oval stuff. Now I used to race off-road and electric cars. I mean, you remember the old RC tens, you know, the batteries, all that stuff. It was a hassle. Well, I raced long enough to remember when the brushless technology and the lipo came in and I was still racing nitro at the time I was nitro for life. You know, the noise, you know, that's what I wanted. The, just, it was a different feel. I remember the first time I drove a really high powered brushless electric car. And I'm like, this is what I want to do because it's more fun, less maintenance and the raw power. Like that's what I think a lot of people don't understand with an EV is when you mash gas, it goes and oh, well, it's going to take this out. I'm like, it's going to open up and you, you know, you talked about it there, you know, the, 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 the technology side of it, you're going to have more power and torque than you know what to do with like plain and simple for a drag racing application. If you look at like, I don't know if you saw the, the EV Cobra Jet or Copos in person. They're impressive. You know, they do wheel stands. They run nines. But here's the thing. The tuning that you're going to have to do to those, like drag racers, you know, you probably could get this analogy to, we like the puzzle box. It's going to be a whole new puzzle box to mess with because you are going to have more than what you need to get that car going, like with the torque and everything. Sure. I mean, and it's, and it's, it, it, you know, as battery size gets smaller <clears throat> and makes it where it can be more competitive, I think you'll see it and someone will work on that. And then, and then, and we'll see it come. And at the end of the day, again, it's competition. It depends which project you want to work on. Yeah. And it, it, they will be a very consistent, but again, it's going to come down to like a lot of stuff and especially in heads up drag racing power management. You know, how do, how do you tune your little electric car, you know, where you can bring the power in? I mean, it's it's different than you're not going to be tied to a combustion process. You're just tied to can you get the power from that battery as quickly as you need it 
through the little motor to the tire. And I think it's it's going to open up a very interesting world on how that's going to happen. Yeah, I think I think we're going to have a great blend of old school and new school technology and uh, can attract all sorts of people and keep this sport going. Yeah, and that that's that's the thing is I like all forms of drag racing. Um, you know, I, I'm very fortunate that I get to go to these different events. And for me, it's always interesting to see the different tribes and how they do things. Like, you know, I've been to the, you know, the NMCA finals and NMRA finals. And what makes to me the NMCA finals interesting or any NMCA event is that you have all manufacturers there, you know, especially with what they're doing with Mopar and Chevy, where they are bringing them in and you see people that play with the street cars and then watch you progress. The NMRA side of things is interesting because it's, you know, just all like Ford pans are extremely passionate about what they do, but the, you know, watching all, all these people in an NMCA event to me is interesting to see how they apply things and what they want to do and how you cater to that. Sure. I mean, and that's what the same, you know, if you can, if they're going to be able to, if they're going to market, you know, the electric vehicle as a performance based, you know, it's like, Oh, it really runs good versus the, 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 uh, the soul behind it. Right. So like Mopar has done an amazing job of marketing, not only the power and the Hemi and the nostalgia, but the soul of the car, the, 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 what it brings, um, et cetera. Are they going to do that? Is that going to be the type of person that's going to want to come? I don't know. The future will have to, uh, will be interesting to see how that works out. Like, that's why I said, like, uh, you, you go out and if you really wanted to play with it, go find a, a, a chassis platform that I would, like I said, like an SN95 Mustang or something like that, where there is plenty of aftermarket chassis support, because that's the OE stuff, the stamp steel ain't going to work if you're going to try to put a lot of power to it. So you're going to have to figure that out. And again, that's what's going to make it interesting and fun to see kind of how that happened. And, you know, people think they hear EV, they automatically think of a jelly bean Tesla. I don't think they realize the potential for this platform. <clears throat> right. I mean, it's it, it, and it's going to come it's going to come fast. So, I mean, it's it's going to be interesting to see when when it comes to it's also right now it's expensive. So yes. you're talking about you know, and it's going to have to trickle down in price to get to the level of the things that we have available here. But I think we should be open to it and keep it, you know, keep everything open as the future rolls forward. Speaking of the future and the past, you know, I always like to throw a fun question at people. I've got all these really cool tools with the Drag Zine podcast that people don't understand. I have a checkbook that's amazing that I can open up to guess they can do whatever. Well, for you, I've invented something new this week. I'm going to let you use the Dragzine time machine. And what you can do is you can go back into your past, the time earlier in your racing career, and find a young John. And you could give John some advice. What point in your life, racing-wise, would you go back to, like, and what advice would you give to that, that younger John? Uh, that's an interesting question. Um... I, I can tell you that there's not much, you know, you remember we, you, you talked about you know, my fondest memories. I think the, the path of racing, uh, the highs and lows, you know, on the track, uh, you know, sitting in the, you know, in the mud uh, at three in the morning, trying to fix something, um, you know, you know, you know, reflecting back on it. I enjoy all of those moments. I'm not, I'm not in them anymore like that, <laughs> but I remember them, you know, uh, I think, you know, my biggest advice I would tell is, 
probably to you know consistency i can say that if if uh you never know what you're what you're looking to do when you're doing it you know looking back you know obviously hindsight's always 2020 i think if i had concentrated on you know streamlining the racing program a little bit more we could have we could have had even more success and i'm not saying that i'm not taking anything away from what i've already done but making big changes uh under the hood and in the chassis costs time and when you live uh where we live you know in new mexico which is not necessarily we have a great drag strip here that's been around for a long time for the locals but as far as heads up racing it's a back east north you know at these tracks now uh we have you know it's a lot of traveling time so when we go race it's 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 a lot of time away from your family and a lot of time that you have to allocate that people sacrifice for so so i think i may have would say hey listen just pick something stick with it and 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 hone it and it will you'll maximize that time better because it's so hard to do this sport anymore uh you know you jump around uh, which goes against what i told you that i like to change things and kind of you know did that but uh to each his own you know to each his own sometimes the stumbles are uh you know part of the learning process and i wouldn't have what i have today uh if it wasn't for all those hiccups Kind of going off of that too, out of all of the hiccups, stumbles, stub toes, busted knuckles, and piles of broken parts, what's one of the, the lessons that you've learned that you carry with you at all times? Um, you know, your, your competitors, I, I think don't get too caught up uh, emotionally in the car stuff. Um, if you get too emotionally attacked, you know, if you're concerned about the car you're concerned about your competitors you're concerned about the track you're concerned about the parking uh you know there's a lot of things that go into uh, running the car I, I think you need to take a step back and don't concern yourself with those things because they're going to change i mean over the last 20 years i've been in every single situation we got hit by a tornado a partial tornado in atco we've been in 105 degree weather in um charlotte uh we've had i i drove into a hurricane to get to a duck race we didn't know if the hurricane was actually going to hit and we thought it wouldn't, and we still went. Like, we've done the, everything. Like, all these things have happened, and you can't get too emotionally, uh, you know, concerned with that, or you won't last very long. You got to look at what you're there to do. You know, it's, you know, some people, I think they get lost on the drama and all this other stuff. And, you know, working for a heads-up team like I have and work with people is, like, for lack of better terms, you're there to do a job. We're going to park you over there. Okay, whatever. You know, as long as I'm not like in ankle deep water, don't care. Don't need to be on pavement. Don't need to be next to my three best friends, whatever. We're here to race. And I think there's a lot of people that sometimes get lost in everything but the portion of the racing. Sure. And, and, and then there, you know, it's, and I, and that's okay. I mean, you're going to have folks that are there. They're like, Hey, I'm not here to win. I'm here to have fun. And I think that's super important. Um, some people, they are, are there to only win. I will tell you, if you think your happiness will be only, you will not be happy until you've quote unquote won the race. You better enjoy the whole process or you don't need to be there because there you are not guaranteed anything just like in life and you need to enjoy the process uh, or it may not be for you. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I've seen guys that have burnt out quickly on that. And it's a funny story. I know one racer that got an absolutely smoking deal on a trailer because a guy that had no racing background or anything, thought cars were neat, wanted to get into the drag racing, had a pile of cash, jumped in whole hog, bought all the crazy stuff, and then found out real fast. You're not, like you said, you're not guaranteed anything. It's a lot of work. And he decided, you know what? 
I think I'm just going to dump all this stuff and I'm just going to get me something, you know, I want to go fast. I'll just go get a Corvette. And that's exactly what he did. And right. he just dumped everything because he found out this is not what he thought it was going to be. And, that, and that's, you know, that's why it's a limited number of folks, you know, at the top. And it's, it's uh, at least, you know, we're lucky that we have a place uh, to race and, and, and do that. But uh, don't be, yeah, just don't get frustrated. Don't get emotionally tied that way. Uh, don't let it run your life. Let it be, you know, your source of uh, fun and happiness, a place you're, you know, uh, if you want to bring your family or, you know, you, however it works for you, uh, just be aware how that's how, that, that's how it is. <laughs> our, our point of view when we raced heads up and the way that I still look at it too is as long as I put the car back in the trailer and it's not knocking, smoking, banging, doesn't need to go to the chassis shop and doesn't need to go to the body shop. It was a good weekend. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and yeah, that, that right there is, I think what a lot of people need to come to realize is it's like uh, you, you enjoy the fellowship, you enjoy the fun, you win. Great. You know, you just, if you're too, like you said, if you're too competitive, you're not going to have fun. Yep. Yep. I agree hundred percent. Well, John, our time here is coming to an end on the drag zine podcast. And I like to give my guests their opportunity to uh, channel their inner John force and thank all their sponsors and tell people where to find them at, you know, read off their fire suit or whatever, what they got going, <laughs> tell people what they got going on. So it's basically your opportunity to have the floor yourself. So, you know, tell people what you got going on, where they can learn more about your operation, who you got to thank, you know, your wife, your kids, your dog, whatever. So the floor is yours, my friend. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for that. I, you know, none of this could happen without uh, the, you know, support of everybody, you know, you know, you know, 100% mostly, uh, you know, my beautiful wife, Melissa, and my daughter, Lauren, for putting up with me, uh, you know, continuing this level of racing. I could not do it uh, without them. Um, you know, the, uh, the, 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 so many people along the way that have come to all the races and support me, uh, you know, from, uh, you know, Mike King, Mike Roush, Nate Phillips. Um, I mean, it's, you know, the, the, the list, you know, goes on and on. I couldn't do it. I, you know, people that take the truck, uh, Brian Green helps me take the truck places. Um, it's, you know, their, their assistance is, is part of, you know, my success and I couldn't be there without it. You know, as far as, uh, you know, sponsors, there've been so many companies along the way amazing companies on the, you know, the current car we race uh turn 14 sponsor 2015 mustang bosch motorsport um if you go to hellionturbo.com you can see our racing page with all of our sponsors that uh, make it happen uh the most advanced uh, drag car in the world um you know it's you know we're, we're, we're still going forward everything we talked about today we still move forward in it and uh you know i'm glad that we're able to share our experiences and get uh, some of the younger folks uh, involved with however level that they want to, to come and be a part of it. Uh, cause the, you know, if people want to do it, companies will make parts for it and, uh, we can go out and, uh, and compete at a high level, you know, and we hope to, uh, see everyone at a racetrack near you soon. Definitely. And of course, I've got to thank our sponsors, you know, thanks to performance distributor, pro charger, AFR, Holly, MSD, Flowmaster, Mosier and engineering and Elderbrock, of course, that help, uh, Give me the opportunity to come on here and talk to racers like yourself and let you guys tell your stories. And, you know, most of all, have fun because that's what it's all about, right? That's it. If you don't have fun, it's not worth doing. Exactly. No true words ever been spoken. John, thank you so much for coming on the show. And we'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon. Sounds good, man. We'll see you guys later. Thank you again.